Section 28 of Mark Twain's Autobiography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. Wednesday, March 14, 1906. Morrow Slaughter Continued. Luncheon for George Harvey. Opinions of the guests as to Morrow Fight. Cable from General Wood explaining and apologizing. What became of the wounded? President Roosevelt's joy over the splendid achievement. McKinley's joy over capture of Aguinaldo. The ominous paralysis continues. There has been a slight sprinkle, an exceedingly slight sprinkle, in the correspondence columns of angry rebukes of the president for calling this cowardly massacre a brilliant feat of arms and for praising our butchers for holding up the honor of the flag in that singular way but there is hardly a ghost of a whisper about the feat of arms in the editorial columns of the papers i hope that this silence will continue it is about as eloquent and as damaging and effective as the most indignant words could be i think when a man is sleeping in a noise his sleep goes placidly on but if the noise stops the stillness wakes him this silence has continued five days now surely it must be waking the drowsy nation surely the nation must be wondering what it means a five-day silence following a world astonishing event has not happened on this planet since the daily newspaper was invented at a luncheon party of men convened yesterday to godspeed george harvey who is leaving today for a vacation in europe all the talk was about the brilliant feat of arms and no one had anything to say about it that either the president or major-general dr wood or the damaged johnson would regard as complimentary or as proper comment to put into our histories harvey said he believed that the shock and shame of this episode would eat down deeper and deeper into the hearts of the nation and fester there and produce results he believed it would destroy the republican party and president roosevelt i cannot believe that the prediction will come true for the reason that prophecies which promise valuable things desirable things good things worthy things never come true prophecies of this kind are like wars fought in a good cause they are so rare that they don't count day before yesterday the cable note from the happy general dr wood was still all glorious there was still proud mention and elaboration of what was called the desperate hand-to-hand -hand fight dr wood not seeming to suspect that he was giving himself away as the phrase goes since if there was any very desperate hand-to-hand -hand fighting it would necessarily happen that nine hundred hand-to-hand -hand fighters 
if really desperate, would surely be able to kill more than fifteen of our men before their last man and woman and child perished. Very well. There was a new note in the dispatches yesterday afternoon, just a faint suggestion that Dr. Wood was getting ready to lower his tone and begin to apologize and explain. He announces that he assumes full responsibility for the fight. It indicates that he is aware that there is a lurking disposition here, amid all this silence, to blame somebody. He says there was no wanton destruction of women and children in the fight, though many of them were killed by force of necessity because the Moros used them as shields in the hand-to-hand -hand fighting. This explanation is better than none. Indeed, it is considerably better than none. Yet if there was so much hand-to-hand -hand fighting, there must have arrived a time, toward the end of the four days' butchery, when only one native was alive. We had six hundred men present. We had lost only fifteen. Why did the six hundred kill that remaining man, or woman, or child? Dr. Wood will find that explaining things is not in his line. He will find that where a man has the proper spirit in him, and the proper force at his command, it is easier to massacre nine hundred unarmed animals than it is to explain why he made it so remorselessly complete. Next he furnishes us this sudden burst of unconscious humor, which shows that he ought to edit his reports before he cables them. Many of the Moros feigned death and butchered the American hospital men who were relieving the wounded. We have the curious spectacle of hospital men going around trying to relieve the wounded savages. For what reason? The savages were all massacred. The plain intention was to massacre them all and leave none alive. Then where was the use in furnishing mere temporary relief to a person who was presently to be exterminated? The dispatches call this batu a battle. In what way was it a battle? It has no resemblance to a battle. In a battle there are always as many as five wounded men to one killed outright. When this so-called battle was over, there were certainly not fewer than two hundred wounded savages lying on the field. What became of them, since not one savage was left alive? The inference seems plain. We cleaned up our four days' work and made it complete by butchering those helpless people. The President's joy over this achievement brings to mind an earlier presidential ecstasy. When the news came in 1901,
that Colonel Funston had penetrated to the refuge of the Patriot Aguinaldo in the mountains, and had captured him by the use of these arts, to wit, by forgery, by lies, by disguising his military marauders in the uniform of the enemy, by pretending to be friends of Aguinaldo's, and by disarming suspicion, by cordially shaking hands with Aguinaldo's officers, and in that moment shooting them down. When the cablegram announcing this brilliant feat of arms reached the White House, the newspapers said that that meekest and mildest and gentlest of men, President McKinley, could not control his joy and gratitude, but was obliged to express it in motions resembling a dance. End of section 28, Wednesday, March 14, 1906.